3: This episode of See Here is dedicated to the video aces. You've tried the best, now try the rest.
1: to episode 104 of the see here podcast we're proudly part of the pantheon network of music discussion podcasts joining me as they do in Brantford, ontario mr tim merrill hey, hey. and in cape cod Ms. carrie fristo hello i'm here in melbourne and we're here to discuss the 1988 film Tapeheads. Tapeheads is available on YouTube if you've not watched it yet. I can't find a trailer for this, at least not one that's been put out by the film company. So I'll find some clever bit of audio to put here at this bit. And then we'll be back in a moment to actually go through our thoughts on the MTV era, Tapeheads, this film in general. Mike Nesmith, anything that we can think of. We'll be back in a moment. Hi,
4: I'm Ivan Alexey in Video Aces. We make rock videos. You can have fine time to look at this or call me. Your name was Skip. Ivan. Give us a call.
1: My name is Ivan Altif. I work for Video Aces. We make rock videos. I love your work. Good to see you. Let me give you my card.
3: Remind me to
4: get some help.
1: 3:30 with Ken Craig. It was a very fine meeting. It was good to meet you.
3: My brother. Cube squared baby doll
4: flicken elf- they completely harmless. We just did their last video. Fire. No reverse! do huh? get you, Billy. We can do that much for you. We, we love the psyche mullets.
3: percentage host of Booked on Rock. Join me for deep dive discussions of the greatest stories in rock history from the
1: authors who've written all about them. Ed Van Halen, one of the world's greatest guitarists, he ended on a great note, just like one of his solos. And those who were there when they happened.
4: I'm fishing and I'm here in Sweet Home Alabama, six
3: miles away. way I'm fishing. Find Booked on Rock wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or just go to BookedOnRock.com.
1: And we're back. Morris here, Kerry there, Tim also over there. And we're discussing the 1988 film Tapeheads, directed by Bill Fishman. The screenplay was written by Bill Fishman and Peter McCarthy, who had been producer for Repo Man, Sid and Nancy, and Roadside Profits, amongst other things. The producer, who you may know from one or two things, is one Mike Nesmith, and we'll be having words to say about him, I'm sure. The film stars John Cusack, Tim Robbins, Mary Crosby, who was a daughter of some crooner, I believe. And the film has a ton of cameos. Tim Robbins made a film a few years later for Robert Altman that had its share of cameos, but this film has a ton of cameos. The IMDb description is, a couple of creative losers accidentally become big shots in the video music industry. All right, so before we get to discussing the film itself, Tim and Kerry, I want to get your perspective on the early days of MTV.
4: Turn it on. Leave it on. I want my MTV. You are your MTV. I want my MTV. I want my
1: MTV. Because at this side of the planet, we didn't have a 24-hour music video channel and the culture that's being satirized in tape heads. We had our own music video shows, like I'm sure everyone did. You know, Countdown was the big thing, and we had Night Moves and a whole bunch of other music video and miming-type performance shows, and there was Top of the Pops in the UK, but I wanted to know from you guys, I I want to get a feel for MTV culture in the early 80s, or I know that in Canada there was much music. So was there much difference between the two? What do you remember about the early days of MTV while it was still a music TV channel?
2: Well, at that time, when MTV was coming out and everything, I was actually in band, a couple of them, and we were real snobby about it. (laughs) (laughs) So if MTV bands were like, cheese you know we just didn't oh MTV ugh. but by the same token I was dating this guy It was in another band he was a drummer in this other band and um, he took me out to uh, this club and I can't remember what club it was it was a really small club in Boston and we saw this band called O Positive and O Positive ended up having two tunes that made it to MTV and he was friends with them and they were local and they got signed it didn't really work out I guess but I remember thinking that that was so cool that (laughs) that somebody was made MTV, even though, oh my God, because it tended to be more alternative and new wave kind of stuff, which rock and roll people were like, oh my God, please. You know, It, it was so funny. So I went through different phases And I really like some of that 80s music now And at the time I did too But I don't know, it was just a weird kind of thing But we were kind of snotty about it, I remember And some of the videos were pretty cheesy You know the, the Office, the British one? Mm-hmm. And uh, David Brent does a video Do you, I don't know if you've ever seen it It's really funny If you don't know me by now, you know that tune
4: <laughs> Hi, how are you? Come on
3: in I've poured you a glass of my favourite wine Cabernet Sauvignon I really know you But I've been lying awake at night Wondering if you really know me because... And
2: he's dressed all in white, and there's, like, it's so, like, stereotype. There these open windows with these long, white-flowing curtains, and the wind is blowing all the time. And he's always posing in these, like, quote-unquote <laughs> sexy poses. It's so funny. And then he does the thing where, because that song builds up to a sort of a semi-crescendo, and he sort of does this, you know, oh, kind of, you know, really... <laughs> angst-ridden singing and oh my gosh it is just so funny and he paid for it himself with like money he got from doing the show or something so like all his money is gone <laughs> but that's kind of how i thought about the videos
1: okay so tim did mtv make its way into canada or as much music what you had instead
3: well this is a funny thing okay and i'm laying my cards on the table yeah we're all as old as dirt all right
1: <laughs> you said that like it's a bad thing
3: there were things that came before mtv i mean like for example don The raw concert there was midnight special mm. there were a lot of movie films like mini movies like for example mercy and alice cooper elected when they did a short little mini movie that was even before video or even alice cooper welcome to my nightmare which was even before music videos i'm mean, I mean like there's a lot so i mean when it came in it wasn't revelatory it wasn't like wow we used to get bootlegs of uh, there was a, an american tv show called night flight where Flight wasn't even really associated with MTV, but they would show a lot of the eclectic stuff. And then we had a show out of Toronto called the All Night Show, which was kind of like a security guard at a TV station who's there all night, supposed to be minding the place, but he's actually mucking around with the boards and and putting up what he wants to watch on television all night. You know, so it was an actor playing a security guard. You know, and so he'd be playing rock videos and this and this was before much music and all of this. It, like again, it wasn't profound when it first came out. But I kind of agree with Carrie and, and all the, the really just ridiculous, pompous videos that came out of the 80s where, you know, all these young bands that balloon parachute pants and fluffy jackets <laughs> and all this shit, you know, and they were they were coming out thinking that they were going to be the jewel on the crown when actually there were just another chunk of corn on a pile of shit. You know, I mean, it was just like so many now. Where are they now? Like, some guy somewhere in the middle of Kansas owns a used car lot, but meanwhile, he was a rock and roll guy who had one video on MTV in 81. You know, where are they now? But one of my favorite videos that sums up all of it is a video that the replacements did for Bastards of the Young, and I don't know if you've ever seen this.
1: Yeah, I have. I know this one. Yep, yep, yep. And I love
3: that video where it's just a guy putting on the record and sitting there on the side of the bed, and you see his legs, and then he just kicks the turntable at the end. That pretty much sums it up for me. But, (laughs) again, it was almost like, and this is the thing now, is how we see the internet today being so pervasive in all of our daily lives, you know, with TikTok and Facebook and all of the Things that's kind of the way it was too in the 80s with a lot of these music videos where you'd see madonna on heavy rotation you would see the same video three or four times a day if you're at home mm-hmm. in the summertime or you know you'd see cindy loppers girls just want to have fun on heavy rotation you know or yeah. or uh, poison and all the hair metal as they're pronounced in france boisson <laughs> Uh, All of that, the Hairspray Brigade, all of it. But then again, there were those videos that came out that were just too much for the general public. Like, I mean, do you remember, Carrie, when uh, Duran Duran put out Girls on Film?
2: Yeah.
1: I when certainly do.
3: Originally came, like, oh, but the, the full video of that. Yeah,
1: was yeah, never, they, they showed that, like, at 11 o'clock at night.
3: Right, was never put on television. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, or else the Cramps did a video for a Creature from the Black Leather Lagoon that oh, was not getting on television, unless it was uh, specialty shows late at night. It was just a weird, different time. And, I mean, it was so funny, too, because I always thought what to find art Was in the clubs, not on the tube. That you know, on the tube was just kind of like we all knew it was just basically like a calling card. But then again, there were some one-hit wonders that kind of put out some amazing, incredible videos as well.
1: It seems like you know MTV wanted to sell their brand, at least from what I could see from this side of the world. They wanted to sell their brand as that was the birth of the music video, which we've all gone and acknowledged as a load of uh, bullshit. If you could isolate these moments. Out of the overall films, then really 1930s, 1940s MGM musicals was probably the birth of the video clip as you took a song with a whole lot of movement and dancing and choreography that made not necessarily any sense within the context of a narrative that's Telling its own story. That's the birth of the music video. we oh, like go yeah. Into popular era. Look at the performance of the Beatles doing Can't Buy Me Love, running across a big football field in a hard day's night. Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane a few years later, when they decided, hey, we don't want to... Tour anymore. We're just going to make these little short films. I'll put them on television. It'll keep people buying our records. And, you know, through the 1970s, there are all these art pieces, and, you know, MTV comes along and makes out like they're the inventors of a new art form.
3: But even before that, I mean, like, we covered the film, Hell's a Poppin'. Mm, that's right, I mean, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. You look at that, I mean, like, that's almost really like a full-blown production, like a music video of, of what they're doing, and it's insane for that time. Every generation wants to plant the flag and say nobody's done it before, because right. no nobody has a recollection of history beyond two weeks ago, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, that, yeah. That's, that's just the way it is, you know?
2: There are actually feature-length films from the 20s and 30s had musical numbers in them. One thing, but there were actually a bunch of shorts because when you think about going to the movies way back when, it wasn't just you went and saw a movie. You went and saw a newsreel and a cartoon and a serial that could be cowboys. It could be Buck Rogers in space. It could be whatever. And then they would sometimes show little musical. It was was almost like a jukebox series. And there are a whole bunch of black ones too where they were uh, you know doing uh, mostly what they would call black music or jazz and then they would also do the big band kind of tunes and they would basically would just you were just watching the band perform sometimes they would do a little dancing with it but that those things exist too but that's they've been around forever and they were two or three minutes long and they had costumes and stuff they were just like a modern video i was also thinking when we we're talking about mtv because before mtv was out there i know in boston there was v66
3: surround yourself in audio ecstasy v66 broadcasts in full tv stereo someday every tv station will be in stereo today you can experience it
0: yourself with your own stereo tv experience the difference boston rock video v66 in stereo
2: it was a big thing i mean it didn't just play boston bands but it did play a lot of Boston bands, like The Fools, Till Tuesday. I'm trying to think of other ones. Probably like Robin Hitchcock. Uh, was it? Big Dipper came out of Boston, right? I'm not familiar with them. But okay, okay. They could have, you know. <laughs> but there are a lot of Boston bands. And um, so, I mean, they probably showed also people like the Cars and, and Aerosmith and right. Boston and things like that. It was local. Because Boston's a really good music town. And because WBCN was the the really good station, they were the first ones in the country to play U2. V66 played, I mean, they played the same stuff that MTV later did, but they were around first, I believe.
1: They weren't national, though, right?
2: No, they were not. It was just, it was local, and then it, I think then MTV took over the earth or something, you know, at that
3: point. But there's two things now I, I just wanted to mention. Number one, do you guys think that this film that we're going to cover today, if it came out today, do you think they call it meme heads? I don't think you'd have your uh, specialized guys that would come out and say, hi, we're your content creators. And that's the second thing. I'm a guy who bastardizes and abuses the English language just as badly as anybody else does. But one thing that bothers me is the way that people misuse Phrases, just the English language in general. For example, the term content creator. Carrie, you had to take your dog out a little earlier. You know why? Because your dog is a content creator. <laughs> you know? I mean, we're sitting here talking about films coming out from the 1920s. We're talking about films from the 40s, short musical films from the 70s. And again, like I said earlier, you know, most people think they've planned a flag and they're the first ones to do anything because they, they don't have an understanding of history beyond two weeks ago. And this term content creator, it just means nothing. You know, Adam and Eve were content creators after they bit that apple, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, how far do you want to go back? You know what I'm saying? it's nothing new the funniest thing is my wife says to me she says well if you're not going to call them content creators what do you want to call them i said artists (laughs) (laughs) it just gives legitimacy to something that is just not legitimate
2: what i do for a living (laughs) is i write there are people that go oh you're a content creator and i'd be like well i call myself a writer i I really that's right
4: right. (laughs) you're so full of shit Yeah, well, there are a lot of people out there who are full of shit making money, and I'm not going to be the exception. This is our ticket,
1: and you are going to start making music videos. Let's get to the content creator, I mean, the video makers (laughs) in this film. Let's go around the virtual table. Is that another expression maybe you're unhappy with, Tim? I don't know. I'm going to use it anyway. The, The virtual table and talk about initial thoughts about the film itself. And for the listeners out there who haven't seen the film, because the film centres around two guys who get their video put on the fictional equivalent of mtv in this film is why i wanted to get this conversation started around mtv and its importance or otherwise in the early 80s but let's start sort of thinking about the film itself tim you picked this so when did you originally see it and what were your thoughts about the film when you actually first did see it?
3: I saw this when it first dropped, um, a little after when it came to video. I never saw this in the theater. And I thought at this time, at the time it came out, there were a lot of different films that I would connect this to in having the kind of same MO. For example, you look at films like Rock and Roll High School or uh, Get Crazy. Or Repo Man, and the films that are kind of like they kind of capture a moment where you're on the cusp of some type of zeitgeist. You know that there's something going on. Call it kind of a a, tor- a media tornado or some kind of cultural cyclone, so to speak. And that they want to get on the edge of it. They want to get involved. And suddenly, you know, these people that are on the periphery wind up getting sucked into the center of it. And a lot of times, you know, it usually ends up trying to kind of save the rec center or make money or or win the battle of the bands or some kind of thing. Even uh, Cheech and Chong's first movie, Man, Up in Smoke, where they've just got a wide cast of every single, I know that guy. Oh, it's a dude. Hey, it's her. All throughout the movie. And then it winds up in a theater with somebody playing music or, or, or some live concert taking place. The Ramones, Rock and Roll High School, perfect example. But I just think that this film, like I said, it kind of captures a moment of something that just came and went with like a fart in a wind. But these two kind of knuckleheads trying to get in um, what they think is, you know, a sure thing. But again, it's also, you know, them feeling left out on the on the edges with, for example, the things they love and the things that they hold important, like the swanky modes and bringing them up to the spotlight again. Now, here's something also as well. There's vibes I get off this film that almost remind me of a Robert Altman film where Robert Altman would have such a wide cast, such an ensemble cast. And a lot of his films like Nashville or Shortcuts, how it just seems like it's just a culmination of a lot of things that have nothing to do with anything. But everything all winds up connecting into each other. He, he winds up threading all this together. And it does make sense. But when you're first watching it, it just seems like, what the hell am I? You know, like, okay, here's this guy, here's this guy, here's this guy. And it has that kind of wackiness of an Altman film like Ocean Stiggs, which is a rare film that he did that a lot of people haven't seen. But it's just kind of got that goofiness to
1: it. I mentioned at the start of this that four years later, after making Tapeheads, Tim Robbins was in The The Player Player, by Robert Altman. John Cusack was too. Oh, really? I've I've been that many years. I, I remember. So he would have been one of the cameos in that because, you know, I remember it was Tim Robbins and I think Greta Scacchi. It's been so many years since I've seen it. But yeah, that was a film full of cameos. And that was the first thing I thought.
3: This also seems more like a far looser, see in your pants Christopher Guest film, kind of, in a way. <laughs> You know, when he would go on the Best of Show and, like, uh, The Mighty Wind and all the, the later stuff that he did. I mean, his stuff was far more on the nose and bang on.
1: It was sharp.
3: Yeah, it was really sharp. But this, to me, also, it just seemed like a looser Christopher Guest film.
1: Now, Kerry, before we started recording, you indicated that this was not necessarily your favorite film. So, I, I take it that this is your first time watching it. What were some of the things that came to mind?
2: It was. Somehow I missed this when it came out. It just never appeared on my radar, I guess. And it's interesting because, well, Tim Robbins, I don't think, was on my radar quite yet. Now, I had already seen some John Cusack stuff because I think he had already done the, like, Better Off Dead and the One Crazy Summer films, those uh, Savage Steve movies, which I love, so I already knew him, but I don't think I knew Tim Robbins yet. I, don't, I just don't think I had known him. But I had not seen this until I watched it for the podcast. Of course, I knew the music and I knew the cameos. Like, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like Weird Al and Bobcat Goldthwait and all these guys.
1: Weird Al! Weird Al! I knew it, Mr. Yankman. My name is Ivan LT I work for Video Aces. We make rock videos. I love your work. Good to see you. Let me give you my card.
2: So that was kind of cool. But when you say a loose interpretation of a type of Christopher Guest type thing, I get what you're saying, but it's really loose. For me, the jokes didn't land. But, you know, there were some amusing parts. And I really liked the swanky mode. (laughs) I thought they were cool. They were probably my favorite part. And I love the matching suits. And this, uh, this sort of story within a story of the guy running for office, Yeah, Uh, Mart, that guy Norman, Normart. I I gotta say, was that is that Clue Gulager? Yeah, yeah,
3: that's Clue Gulager. Yep.
2: The first video they show of him when he's running for office and he's handing cigarettes out to children.
0: Roses are red, violets are blue. The Russians have satellite laser weapons. Why can't we too?
2: Okay, kids. Yeah. I said, I'm going to like this movie, because that was yeah. awesome. But <laughs> i got to say, I didn't really, the rest of it was sort of goofy.
3: Sue Tyrell was spanking his ass. That was hilarious.
2: That was, she, I like. She's always good. The, I mean, there were people, there were, there were individual things. It was wound together as a plot, but it was really, it was sort of shooting for a kind of Kentucky Fried movie zaniness.
4: The popcorn you're eating has been pissed in. Film at eleven.
2: In a way, because there were all these little parts that then mixed together. Forget about the uh, martial arts part of Kentucky Fried Movie, because that was just terrible. But uh,
1: what you and I, I can't mean, be friends that. anymore. No way. Just full end. You
3: can't say anything bad about that.
2: It was just so <laughs> long, and it didn't go anywhere. I loved. Oh, uh... There were all these. You know, the popcorn you were eating has been pissed in. <laughs> 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 I, 'Cause I saw that at the
3: drive in. The best part to me, me is like the alarm guy where he's just standing in the corner going
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I wanted to say quickly about this film, Tapeheads. One, this would really surprise you, Carrie, but I just listened to an interview recently with Savage Steve Holland who did One Crazy Summer and Better Off Dead. Right. And they had difficulty with, apparently, with with Cusack because he kind of considered himself a bit of an artiste. He thought he had a career on the rise and he didn't want to see himself taken so uh, non-seriously and put in such comedic roles. And this was before this.
2: I know. So that's this, why I'm kind, is, of, I'm kind of like. Way the- more, he's way more dignified in, in one crazy summer and, right, and, and right. better off head. Right.
3: The other thing is, too, is believe it or don't, Roscoe's Chicken Waffles is a real place.
4: Roscoe's the name and they call me the king.
2: of it i mean i really like that tune
1: and i liked that guy king cotton oh yeah so does that count as product placement then (laughs) i guess if if that's for real yeah that's a bit cheeky yeah so this was my first time watching the film i mean i'd heard of it i think i might have even seen the videotape at the local library or something like that years ago but never occurred to me to actually watch this (laughs) um and i'm possibly somewhere in the middle where Yeah, I mean, like you, Kerry, I didn't think a lot of the gags landed. And I'm just sort of wondering, it came out, I think, with the best of intentions. But I'm sometimes wondering while watching this, whether it wants to be a satire of the MTV culture, the MTV era, or whether it's celebrating it. You've got these two characters who want to make it. It's the American dream. It's capitalism. If we want to do something and we don't necessarily have the skills, but we want to we're going to go out and do it yay so is that making fun of it or is that embracing it
3: i don't think they're embracing anything i think they're taking the piss with all of it <laughs> to tell you the truth
1: i don't think it was biting enough i sometimes wonder whether they had the guts to go all the way i mean you brought up before kentucky fried movie and that definitely <laughs> went to places which you wouldn't have thought that they could do that but they decided no we're going to go all the way with this i, I sometimes wonder whether bill fishman as a writer he was basically told, no, you can only do so much which is unusual because for someone like Mike Nesmith being attached to this as a producer, I think he had no qualms about saying what he thought about popular culture and so it it just seemed to me like they didn't quite have the guts to go all the way. Maybe they did and it just wasn't as funny as I thought it was but I like the idea about this overall and you mentioned before Kerry, you liked that whole notion of the Clue Gallagher character, a corrupt politician, the guy who who gets spanked and doesn't want the videotape getting out of there. Personally, I could have done without that that as a side story. It was amusing enough, but I thought... There's so much that it could take the piss of with the whole music video culture that they didn't need to have that as a digression. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I would would like to have seen it just milk it for all that they could with that alone.
3: Right. I was going to say, but this is an interesting thing to me. One of the things that kind of stands out, everything that they're chasing after has the recognition, but there's no talent. But then they're looking at swanky mode sitting in the bar. And they've got the talent, but no recognition.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
3: Finally, you know, with, with the end of it all, they want to bring the talent to the recognition. This film is just stacked. I love how they just go into the, the various segments of the projects that they get hired to do. Like, for example, the cubed
0: or... And I've got just the band. Cube squared. This group is hotter than Hot. They've sold more records in Sweden than ever.
3: That's the best. Baby it all.
4: <laughs>
1: Here's the thing. I mean, obviously, and we discussed this, I think, when we were talking about Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. But to be able to parody something well, you have to get down in the mud and be exactly like that. And it's my contention that watching that Cube Squared video clip, these three Swedish guys who are all wearing muscle shirts and white body-length suits and playing Casio keyboards and have got all big hair and singing, you know, this synth song that would not have been out of place in the 80s. I
3: was expecting this, them to turn into pencil sketches.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, they probably didn't have the budget for that in this film. Yeah. But the thing is that if that song had been taken out of the movie and released on its own merits with all this paint flying about and explosions like they do in the mockery of that type of video. It would have been taken seriously in the 80s. It was only like once it got to the end of the 80s where Mike Nesmith and Bill Fishman are saying, geez, this is a bit ridiculous. Let's go over the top and show this being made, and we can laugh at it. But I'm suggesting that if that video had made its way to MTV proper, no one would have been laughing at it. It would have just been another video clip maybe in the vein of, aha,
3: yes. It would have fell under the, the realm of the free. Everyone would have been like, wow, this is so profound. They're, exactly, they're, exactly. They're, they're talking about the deconstruction of the American family.
1: I want to come back to that whole notion of the videos because I want to talk about Bill Fishman and what he did leading up to the making of this film. But I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about the culture that the film represents. And this is sort of like talking about what you were saying a, a few minutes ago, Tim, about the zeitgeist and the films that were being made about the time that something was being big into American consciousness. So last Saturday night, I went to Acme here in Melbourne. There's this cinema club, I think, that's being run by a fellow called Lee Gambon. Hello, Lee, if you're listening. He's been running this for a few years called Cinemaniacs. And he takes films and gives them a cinema screening and someone gives a bit of a talk before the film starts. So last Saturday night, Joe and I went to see Saturday Night Fever. You know, I work on my hair a long time and and you hit it. He hits my hair which, at its heart, is not really a film about disco dancing or disco music, but more about what John Travolta's character does to get through his week when he's not being king of the disco. The time in the discotheque and its music, however, does reflect an aspect of the culture and the zeitgeist at the time. Tony Manero, played by John Travolta, isn't content to be a gig-goer. He'd probably find the whole New York CBGB's movement repulsive. He can go to the nightclub, dress to the Nines with his perfect hair and be the center of attention as he shows off his dance move. He is the replacement for the working musician or as is the DJ in showing his vanity his narcissism his lack of consideration for others the music and the discotheque are the tools to tell us his story and it tells a story about a wider culture the disco the hospital I guess in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is also a microcosm of a wider society and that got me to thinking about tape heads forgive me if this is something of a stretch but even in a film like this which I think has none of the darkness. Of Saturday Night Fever. It's satire is trying to be of a culture, unlike films that celebrate the can-do, will-do attitude and shows the main character in adverse circumstances, the main character, we're going to show them being triumphant at the end. Tapeheads Heads is trying to be a kick in the balls to that culture, but we've gone from films about, hey, we're going to put a band together and we're going to do something, we're going to be creative with our music, to Saturday Night Fever which says we're not interested in bands. We're just interested in being the center of attention through dancing to the music in a public forum and the characters here say we're not even interested in that we're interested in getting videos out to the general public we're interested maybe it's let the whole mtv era is less about the creation of those videos and more about just the watching of those videos and the culture is about the watching of those videos and
3: yeah it's about a culture eating itself basically right it's consumer culture of course you know a couple things come to mind now like for one Mike Nesmith, it's no coincidence that he produces. I mean, because when you look at what he was doing before this with Elephant Parts, and some of the projects that he had actually worked on, video-based projects, like him being one of the first recognized video artists in North America before a little before this, you know, in the late 70s. Also, you know, Everybody's so vapid in this movie. You know, everybody's just so fired up their own ass. And that's what it's supposed to be. Aside from the only two people that I don't see that are like this are... Tim Robbins and the, and his girlfriend. The two of them, to me, are the two most authentic because both of them just want to do what they want to do. They want to create to create. And they don't really want the accolades. They just want to do what they want to do because they like doing it. Whereas C- Cusack and then his foil, the female side of it, both of them are connivers falling in love with connivers, right? But I find that, no, the two most authentic to me, aside from swanky modes, are,
1: like I say, um, Tim Robbins and his girlfriend. Wasn't this Some line where Cusack says, Triangle of success, man. Skills, attitude, knowledge. I got the attitude he's got, the skills and the knowledge. In a way, that sort of reminds me of uh, this brilliant film from the 90s called Big Night which had Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, and, I know that song. And, uh, and, uh, 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 Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. So, you know, Stanley Tucci is into the promotion and Tony Shaloub is the brilliant chef. But even the Stanley Tucci character at the very end of the film, mm-hmm. he knows how to make a scrambled egg. <laughs> he, he, he knows something about, a little bit about cooking. But, you know, there's another story about, uh, well, in that case, two brothers rather than two close friends who are basically trying to you use promotion through uh, the Ian Holm character to get their business up and running. Yeah. Whereas the the Tony Shalhoub character, all he wants to do is make food. The Stanley Tucci character, he just says, no, we got to be big. We've got to be big. And that's what I see these two characters of.
3: Speaking of the promotion, there are some really funny moments in this, though. Look, I love that moment where John Cusack goes in and he's handing a card off to Mike Nesmith, you know, a promotional card, you know, hands him his card and Nesmith takes it and Cusack leaves and turns out Nesmith's just the guy who fills the water bottles. <laughs> Right, like, right. I, you know, like that's happened. Like, that's that's really happened to people. Like, you know it has. Or else I love the bit where, you know, it's like you see Ted Nugent come walking in with, with those two girls, and Cusack follows them, and Nugent throws his ass right out with the same thing with Weird Al. Surreal. It, that was really yeah. Weird Al. Like, I just thought that was brilliant. You know, like, it was just really, you're going places, pal. I didn't
2: know Ted Nugent was so tall.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that probably the sleaziest guy in the film is someone who was so beloved to a generation of TV watchers within Don Cornelius now.
4: What's the budget like?
1: Budget? I'm gonna let you do this one on spec. What is spec? It means you do this one for free. It's the way everybody starts out.
4: Oh, spec. Yeah, right, right, spec. Let's get into trouble, baby.
1: The reason I knew about Don Cornelius was not, obviously, through the 70s, not living in America. And Soul Train didn't make its way here, but during the early 2000s, when bootleg DVD trading was a thing, someone sent me a bunch of DVDs of Soul Train. And I just got transfixed watching these musicians mime. The attraction was watching the dancers. The
2: dancers were so good.
1: And Don Cornelius is there, you know, he's introducing these acts and he's very laid back and he's introducing the singers and he's encouraging the dancers. And he just seems like this really, really lovely guy who loved the music. I was listening to a podcast recently Recently, where someone was talking about Don Cornelius and how he'd put this show together in the first place and how it ran such a long time. And here he is. He's the low-rent music video producer. Yeah. Uh, and he's basically conning...
2: Yeah, I like that. That was
1: funny. He's... He's conning John Cusack's character, who's the guy who basically thinks that, you know, he's got the pencil-thin mustache, and he thinks he's going to use his smoothness, and he's going to be able to con everyone else, and Don Cornelius has it all over him.
3: Kid, you're going to school me? You are in school. Class is in session. (laughs)
1: You're going to do this video on spec.
2: Spec, spec. Uh yeah
1: (laughs) oh yeah I know what spec is and that was probably one of the few bits in the film that gave me a big belly laugh that's the thing about this film because probably because it's loaded with so many cameos I think that you probably find it funnier when you know who the people are and I've got to confess when I went through the cast list later on I mean there were a few people who I knew but there's a lot of people who I didn't know and we will come later on to the most meta moment of the film I didn't recognize at the very end of the so we'll come back to that. Oh,
3: yeah, yeah. But there was funny, like, Coda Mundi from uh, Kate Creole. He's in the limo with them talking about Menudo. And then Bob Forrest, Thelonious Monsters in there. And then Xander uh, Schloss from the Circle Jerks. And all the lords of the new church with Steve Bader is playing the Blender children. That was hilarious. That was, I love that bit where he's got the crane. And you see him just kick closer and closer. They're like, ah!
1: <laughs> but that comes sort of to what I was talking about before. I mean, I'm watching that video clip and and I looked it up to see, oh, who are these guys? Ah, oh, Lords of the New Church. Hey, Eric Peterson, if you're listening. And I went to watch a few Lords of the New Church videos that not really, I mean, musically, it's very different to the Blender Children, yeah. but... Video-wise, it's not terribly different to no, the it's sort not. of thing that they. Which makes me wonder whether they sort of thought we're tired of making these videos. Yeah, we're going to do this because it's taken a piss out of what we've done, or whether they thought, no, this is something that's genuinely different to what we've done as Lords of the New Church. No, I think they
3: were just having fun. But I mean, Ooh, I, and yeah, I love, I love yeah. how they screwed the video up, and then they, you know, and then they wound up taking footage from the funeral, <laughs> and they, you know, they throwing it in there as the, you know, as the music video. That I was really.
2: It's funny, like, I'm always torn when filmmakers use a lot of stunt casting and they have 12 million cameos where you're just waiting for the next one to show up and you're really scrutinizing people and going, wait a minute, who's, do I know him? Do I know her? Who are they? It's fun, but it's also distracting from the main idea of the film and stuff like that. So, I mean, I feel like you have to sort of limit the amount of stunt casting you do, but that and um, the main thing that got me was just the mood of the film, the zaniness I can't take too much zany. I'm
1: <laughs> oh, glad you went on our Hell's a Poppin' episode then. Yeah, you would have well, hated it
2: I mean, I, things like, like, I love the Marx Brothers, right? But that's different to me because it's also really witty. They're funny. They're making jokes. They're funny. They're much funnier. And it just, ah, just didn't land, you know? I mean, there were enough interesting parts of it to make it watchable, but I was just like, okay, you know? <laughs> Something happened. Oh, God! Ah, ah, We gotta run! Ah, ah. All the time, I'm just like, okay, enough already. I
1: think where I would say overall that I liked this film over the fact that I thought a lot of it didn't land was probably because of the spirit that it was made in. And sometimes that is enough for me, but I mean, I had very few belly laughs, but overall I thought that, you know, the spirit that this was made in was enough to score the points with me.
2: I I gotta say, I think you're ascribing a lot of depth to this movie that perhaps isn't really there.
1: (laughs) You know what, Bernie used to accuse me of that all the time, but I thought, well, if I don't do that, then this is going to be like a 10-minute episode. (laughs)
4: Um. Born in the 1940s, my parents couldn't hold.
1: wanted to bring up for a couple of minutes about bill fishman who was the uh, director of the film because i'm not sure if this was the first case but maybe it's an early case of a music video director graduating if you want to call it that to making a movie and obviously he's thinking well I'm going to make a film about something that I know. Uh, I mean, like nowadays, I think it's a lot more common. And the big examples are, I guess, Spike Jones and Michel Gondry.
3: One thing I wanted to add about Fishman as well, and I don't know if you were aware of this. He did another really, really good music film that I happened to catch on Tubi. And it's called My Dinner with Jimmy. It's actually about the Turtles' first tour of Europe. Oh wow! And how they wind up going over there and becoming really dismayed, and it winds up with a 25 uh, minute scene of them sitting down having dinner with Jimi Hendrix.
1: Oh, now I got to see that. You reckon that's on Tubi? Yep, it is. Okay, but it's it's really good, and uh, Howard Kalin's actually involved in it. I'm trying to think was was Howard on um, Gilbert Gottfried's podcast? Yep. Yeah, I thought so because I remember there was some Turtles Association on uh, on the Amazing Colossal podcast, but I couldn't quite remember for sure. I found it interesting, like why. was trying to look up what else bill fishman had done in music videos i found a website imvdb.com which is dedicated to music videos and music directors although i think it's very northern hemisphere centric no mention of chris levain from australia who directed 20th century oz or oz a rock and roll road movie who was like a pioneer in Australian music videos, but never mind. They can always improve. Uh, But Bill's been directing music videos since the early 80s. The earliest listed at that site was back in 1983 with a song called Jet Fighter by the 3 o'clock. And the last thing that he did listed there was last year with the Backstreet Boys doing a cover of Last Christmas by Wham! I went onto YouTube and someone had very conveniently put together... Uh, I don't know, about 15 or 20 music videos that Bill Fishman had done as a playlist. So I watch about three or four. there's one of Hank Williams Jr. doing a song called Young Country. And the common thing with a few of these videos is it's always interrupted with dialogue. So you've got these old farts sitting around arguing over what constitutes country music and that ain't country and that ain't country with a whole bunch of lookalike musicians in the clip arguing otherwise. There was a Ramones film clip for the great song Something to Believe In and that film took the piss out of the uh, USA for Africa visually. Right. That had a cast of thousands. So, you know, once again, it seems like Bill says, hey, are you available? Are you available? But that was quite funny. And then there was a film clip by Suicidal Tendencies. Trip to the brain. Yeah, Trip to the Brain. Lead singer Mike Muir is escaping a sadistic psychiatrist, swinging a brain in front of him. And John Cusack acting as a sadistic army sergeant who calls him a maggot. He makes an appearance in that film clip. And one of my favorite bands, Wilco, there you go. Once again, Bill Fishman had gone and directed their song Out of Sight, Out of Mind from their early album, Being There. And that one was sort of different to the other videos in that it wasn't trying to tell a story. It was just the four of them getting up in a plane and going skydiving. And I think one of them's on a a skateboard while skydiving and they just land in a field and that's it. And they're all playing their instruments while they're diving through the air. So it just led me sort of thinking when you watch some films with directors that we consider auteurs, you know, whatever they have a style about them, you can identify a Stanley Kubrick film you can identify a Martin Scorsese film but I'm just sort of wondering forgetting Bill Fishman for a second were there any music video directors that you know of that had a style or did they make things to use the other definition of the expression used in the film did they make things just to spec did Bill Fishman have a style and because like watching those first few videos that I mentioned there it seemed like there are a ton of videos that were made probably by other directors that look very much in that style or did Bill Fishman to the best of your knowledge did he make these videos in his particular way and other people copied off him
3: i'm not sure because i know like there there was a lot of guys who did definitive had definitive styles ridley scott did video to start there was other oh wow yeah there was others that had a definitive style like in in certain video and and people were pulled for having their specific styles but for Fishman, I don't know. If you really think about it, though, like, Carrie, do you remember the Twisted Sister videos?
2: Oh, yeah. hundred yeah. percent, yeah.
3: How they were goofy, how it was just like,
2: you're not listening to
0: this stuff in my house. Right. The guy
2: yeah. from Animal, Animal House that... Right, right, right. You know, we're
0: listening weak.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of... There was always those goofy stories in a lot of 80s videos.
2: Huey Lewis and the News had some funny ones. Of course, Robert Palmer always had those girls dances. In the background, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, even Cindy Lopper
3: Lauper, girls just want to have fun with Cyndi Lauper, Lou Albano. Yeah. yeah, he
2: he had Lou Albano, and and she had Lou Albano, and then Van Halen had some. Oh yeah, Hot
1: for Teacher. For teacher
3: was funny. Well that's funny because I mean, like you look, you know, I mean, obviously how long ago that was, you know, thirty some odd years ago. But imagine that video coming out today. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh.
1: No, nah, nah, don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> As you were saying before, Tim, it's a zeitgeist. It's right. a culture. That was acceptable. And now we're seeing videos on YouTube. I mean, maybe it's more the indie artists who are doing this where it's Often a one shot or they're just sitting in a room.
3: But you see, that's the whole thing that gets me about tape heads. To me, it's a parody of like current day YouTube. When video first came out as an art form and it was televised, it's just like, you know, you had people that were creating things going, Well, is this art? Well it doesn't matter, man. People are fucking watching it. You know, if they're watching it, it's art. And that's the same thing with YouTube now. Like I mean, like how I said earlier about how you know it seconds me when I heard the term content creator, and it's just like, Well, if somebody's watching it, then I guess it's valid it's considered art. To me, it, it's just kind of a piss take on that. Something opens up, there's a moment, and everyone's just like, well, we're, we're diving in. We're, we don't exactly, we're not exactly sure what it is, but we think it'll pay off. It kind of takes me back to one of my favorite lines ever that I think is hilarious, but it is also says so much is in the movie Barton Fink, where he winds up going to uh, Hollywood for the first time, and then he meets this uh, The film head, Michael Leonard and Michael. Michael Lerner says, Now,
0: the important thing is we all wanted to have that Barton Fink feeling. You know,
3: write me something with that Barton Fink feeling. He's never had anything produced. But it's just that thing about, you know, like give me that thing you do. What do I do? <laughs> you know? I want a little fish swimming in a great big
4: pond. Oh, 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 oh. You had some real good faith. huh? give me some. I was swimming on the bottom trying to go up three, Searching for an to a lonely
1: dream. The two characters in the film, played by John Cusack and Tim Robbins, they're trying to climb up the corporate tree, as it were, they're trying to get big in the music video world, but they're true to their love of the swanky modes, which are played by Junior Walker and Sam Moore. And I can't help but feel. That Bill Fishman or Mike Nesmith or maybe even Cusack and Robbins themselves, you know, saw that Junior Walker and Sam Moore had long been forgotten. Although maybe, I guess, you know, maybe not because the Blues Brothers would have brought that whole, whole revival back to people's attention. And that terrible film Soul Man was probably at about the same time, but... Maybe Sam and Dave, or certainly Junior Walker, who I think was more of a session musician than an artist known in his own right. The only thing I can think I remember of his is uh, Shotgun, which might have been like an early Motown hit. But Sam and Dave were kings of soul right. in the 60s, and then you know they split up and got back together. But Sam and Dave hated each other's guts. And I think that the original Dave Prater found a different Sam to work with through the 80s. but the swanky modes is probably the creators of this film or the writers of this film their opportunity hey we can get these guys to play a contemporary sam and dave we can show them respect so it seems in a way that the film is sort of paralleling what went on behind the scenes. a dream project can't say for sure it's funny what you were mentioning before tim you know you get these johnny comes lately who are making it big in the video world and the ntv world with their one-off hit and these guys are swanky modes they're forced to play these little dives and i just thought that was a funny scene you know fishbone playing in a little pub and right. and, and the swanky modes are in there and thinking, you know and who would want this gig anyway when the whole place is full of nothing but losers and white trash i just sort of see that maybe in a parallel to what happened seven or eight years before right that it you know, with belushi and ackroyd we're probably seeing their mission, their mission from God, as it were, was to revive the careers of the, the Stax Greats and maybe even going further back. By having a, a Cab Calloway in there and you know bringing Ray Charles and that was their mission and maybe to a smaller extent that's what happens with uh, bringing Sam and Dave. Well, not Sam and
3: Dave. The scene in the bar when the the guys first go in and they make the proposal, Sam and Junior, and they're talking to them and it, and it, it makes me laugh because it almost reminds me of you know the old Warner Brothers cartoon where they had the little dog and then the bulldog and the little dog's like
0: yeah, absolutely.
3: Like, What's well, Spike? What about Spike? going to do Spike? Spike! Spike, shut up! It's like, you know, that's what it reminded me of, where the two guys are just sitting there at the bar, just like, you know, whatever, 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 you know, it's just like, what do these white boys want, you know?
1: We're gonna bring you back to the top tomorrow night. Of course, it's always gonna happen in 24 hours. Right. Actually, so one bit that did make me laugh, but I think they probably pinched that bit from the Steve Martin film, The Man with Two Brains, it was uh, they wanna get a couple of beers for the swanky modes. It says, oh, oh yeah, the brothers against drink driving have been on my ass. Now I recite the alphabet backwards, skipping all the vowels, and give me the sign language for each letter as you pass by.
4: Z Y X W V T S R
0: Q P N M L K J H G F D C B.
1: And it sort of reminds me of that, that moment in uh, The Man With Two Brains where he says, okay, I want you to... Hop on your hands. Juggle yeah, these yeah. three balls yeah. on, on your hands while singing the schlurgen song. Yeah. Uh, damn, your drunk tests are hard. <laughs> Junior Walker and Sam Moore go from being probably as genuinely bemused their characters as they would be like in real life thinking what are we doing in this film hey but at the end when they give that performance at the uh, at the concert right. they absolutely own it and they, i think it's probably not by coincidence that the song they're singing is called an ordinary man would have given up by now
3: You know that band that's playing with them there are no slouches either because i was looking at the lineup of the band actually jim keltner's in there
1: oh wow yeah yeah man he was a king yeah you got these guys who were the king of 60s r&b reviews performing in an 80s context and i didn't pick up that that was jim keltner but there you go another cameo
3: but i think like, this might be stretching it a, a little bit, too. I'm sorry uh, we're picking out threads here, Carrie. <laughs> well, no, so, but here's, a, here's the thing that I find interesting, though, is that with all the video performances that they're catching, like the baby doll and then the Blender children, and then finally at the end, it's like being there. That's the purest you're going to get. You know, I mean, it's just like everyone wants magic to happen. Get it on video, you know, and they try to create this environment that never seems to come together. Like I said, with the, the Euro trash and then with the, the glam guys, they, they try to create this artificial environment that never really seems to come together. But then when you get the two standards up there two you know, soulful dudes in suits, man, just give it it that's where it's just like there's no smoke machines there's no filters there's no nothing it's just them it's just the performance right the suits yep and i think that's
2: that's i thought the suits are awesome
3: oh yeah me too shiny blue (laughs) double-breasted But that's but to me that it's trying to say something there that it's like you can have your puffy hair and you can have all your color filters and your pencil sketches and your video take on me whatever you want to do but in the end it's the
1: performance that's where the shit or shine comes through. You're hundred percent on the money there. I hadn't even thought of that, but that see, carrie that's why we do analysis of <laughs> of films that don't warrant no, them.
2: I'm- did I say we shouldn't do analysis of films? No, never. I just said that it, this movie did not hit my sweet spots, just didn't didn't do it. But, right. I mean, there still were aspects that I liked, and I would never, ever say not to review a movie. Are you kidding me? Oh. <laughs> I, I'm and someone it, who, one of my favorite movies is the brain that wouldn't die. I mean, I me love too. those kind of movies. Oh yeah. I, no, no, to... I do think that at all. And yeah. you know, I like said... a lot of the music in this. It's just, yeah. I don't know. I And I couldn't figure out like what John Cusack was going for. He was too sort of over the top.
1: I'll be honest with you. I don't think that he did a great job in this film. I'm, beginning to sort of think less and less of him as an actor. Yeah. He wasn't sleazy enough. I mean, he had the pencil-thin mustache, and you know, he keeps coming up with these ideas, which, you know, uh, he's just tailing on his best friend's talent, but I don't really think he worked in, I would have liked to have seen someone a bit sleazier and maybe it would have been funnier. Well, you, but, you know
3: who would have really been a good uh, substitution for Cusack, I think? Who's that? Harvey Weinstein. Uh-huh. <laughs> well you're saying you're saying you want the sleaze right so i mean you know
1: a sleazy actor tim a sleazy actor, right
3: yeah you're right he wasn't acting you're yeah
1: you're right all right any final thoughts
3: i will always watch a film that has bobcat goldthwaite in it just saying
2: yeah, yeah. I, I gotta say i did like that i was like wait a minute look at him that's
1: Yep. I'm surprised, Tim, that to this point you haven't mentioned the final cameo. Go for it.
3: Oh, yeah. Before we yeah. get into this, it's funny because the Dead Kennedys actually came out with a song called MTV Get Off The Air.
0: Hi, I'm your video DJ. I always talk like I'm way down on planes. I wear a sock, baseball jacket everywhere I go. My job... So
3: and, you know, just about the whole absurdity of it all. And at the very, not spoiler alert the very end of this film, the guys basically get, they pull off their coup, but then they're going to get hauled off for basically televising nudity worldwide. And one of the fellas that goes to haul them off, one of the FBI agents, is none other than one Mr. Jello Biafra, lead singer of the Dead Kennedys. And it's funny how his line in the film is, you know, remember what we did to Jello Biafra? <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: I just thought that was brilliant. That was really brilliant. Now, truth be told, the first time I saw this film when it came out on video, I didn't think that much about it. There was parts I like because I like basically the bands that were in it, like Fishbone and Lords of the New Church. But the, the, again, I, it was something like, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to leave this alone. I'll come back to this in a couple of years. So I came back to it in a couple of years and there was other things I found that were funnier. And it was more like the other actors, not so much the music. And then I said, I'm still going to Leave it alone, come back to it a couple of years later. And then there was other things that I found. So every time I come back to this film, I'm just finding that there's other things at another level or something else that just kind of make me smile about it. I'm not saying this is Birth of a Nation, you know, or this is not Gone with the Wind. This could be the Citizen Kane of uh, music video movies. But, uh, you know.
2: Well, it had Martha Quinn.
3: Yeah, it's not the greatest film, but it's you know, but I I like this. I don't know, man. Like to me, this was like a grilled cheese. You
1: know? I, I tend to agree for all the fact that I wasn't laughing up and down the whole way through. As I said earlier on in the show, I think that it's just the mood that it set. I found it likable. Yeah. Um. If and and sometimes that's enough.
2: My biggest negative was the pacing of it too, and it was just all over the place. It was all over the place. You know, there would be like zany madcap part, and then it would just lay there, like a locks, you know, and you'd be like, okay, is something going to happen?
1: One thing that I'll give it points for, Kerry, and I wonder if you'd agree with this, is that it never got serious towards the end. It wasn't like that sort of film where everyone has to learn something. Which I think tended to be an eighties trope in a lot of comedy films. It wasn't necessarily really over the top funny, but it never sagged into, well, here's a lesson. Yeah, there.
3: no, it didn't. No. There was a lesson though. I mean, if you if you wanna run for president, don't ever get yourself videotaped wearing a ballerina outfit
1: while you're getting spanked. And the other lesson is pay your parking ticket.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> that was a genuine where did that come from? That was pretty clever. I gotta give them that.
4: Mind. I know you' to help me trying hard to be so
1: kind. all right so I think we've taken that as far as we can go it's my pick for next month which is May of 2023 episode 105. And I'm going to go for a film. I'm wondering if either of you have seen it. I think that Bernie had recommended this film to me years ago. And when I reminded him of it, he said, I don't even remember seeing that. How could I recommended that to you? But I'm sure it was him. It's a film from 2010 made in Sweden called The Sound of Noise. Ah. I've not seen this, but I've been dying to see it for years. And when I was sort of thinking, oh, it's my turn, what am I going to do? All ah, right, here's my excuse. This is a film about art, performance, crime. It just looks fascinating. So that's what we're going to do. Now, if you want to be able to watch The Sound of Noise, I'm not sure if it's available on any of the regular streaming services. I have found it available on YouTube for free, but you have to be logged in to America on your VPN. So I'm not sure whether that's the same case for canada or whatever but if you're in australia what you want to follow along with the sound of noise then um, use your vpn or see if there's some other way that you can watch this film to play along but i've been dying to watch this film for years so i'm gonna force it on youtube for us to uh, watch for the show next month meanwhile if you want to get in contact with us you can join the facebook group facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash see here podcast uh, we're part of the Pantheon group of podcasts, so go to pantheonpodcasts.com to check out any of the other wonderful podcasts that we're playing in the same sandpit as. Uh, you want to send us an email, write to us at podcast at gmail.com. And I think that's about it. With that, I'll say uh, farewell, and uh, we'll see you all next month for uh, episode 105 of C Here. All the best. Cheers.
3: Cheers.
4: Bye-bye. Oh, you-
0: achieve the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing?
4: What's the problem? What's the problem?
0: Would you lie? Would you cheat?
4: Would they shop? Would they shop?
0: Would you kill?
4: Yes. My mom and dad. My mom and my
0: From airship